available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football coming at you on a Wednesday afternoon. I have the NFL, David, on my television on a Wednesday afternoon. That's how 2020 this is. It's also 2020, David. We don't have any games canceled yet. So crossing our fingers, we don't have to play uh, this too much. COVID canceled. But it's how this is just a 2020 week already. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it would be great if we could play it just because it's a really great drop. Um, like maybe we need to do like a COVID reschedule, um, because there is one of those, uh, this week, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's good time so far on the football front. There's another sport going on that's having games canceled basketball, but we don't talk about that on this show. So we're going to, um, bury our heads in the sand and, uh, go forward as if these six games will happen this week. That's what we're going to do. Uh, push forward with that. We uh, want to let you know if you want to contact us. Bunch of different ways to do that. You can email us, podcast at gmail.com, or if you can call or text us, uh, 424-532-0678 is the number. You can tweet at us, at the Pac-12 Podcast, not the, just at Pac-12 Podcast. And our website is Pac-12Podcast.com. We have all the old episodes listed there. We have a Reddit page, Podcast of Champions. And then on uh, any of the Apple platforms, the Apple Podcasting app, you can subscribe and rate us. Five stars is what we ask. And you can say anything you want about the show, how crappy you think me and David are, we're ugly, whatever you want to say. But just leave us those five stars. That's all we ask. That is all we ask, and we did get a few. Are you ready for them? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. The first one is from Champagne Larry. It's not ferocious. Riley and Doug put on an excellent podcast. <laughs> Roger is the red delicious apple of Pac-12 media personalities. And Dave and Dale, <clears throat> sorry, is the tight end coach of college football luminaries. In all seriousness, I love Ryan and Dave and their podcast. Despite their constant self-deprecation, they are quite knowledgeable about the conference we love and are entertaining as hell. It's even fun when the mouth breathers from Lane County Community College show up to try and convince everyone they are a nationally relevant program. I look forward to listening each week. Keep up the good work and go dogs. Love it. I like that. Good stuff. Uh, this is from uh, K Boluri, five stars. Review. It's a podcast. Love it. Descriptive. Liked it. Um, next up is from Bishop Stanky. This is a five star review as well. Subject line above average bre- breakfast buffet. If one finds themselves going to a breakfast buffet, they are expecting above average quality of all the different breakfast items. You don't expect the best chicken fried steak or French toast in town, but you should expect to enjoy combinations of your morning favorites together they can't be ordered on a traditional menu. 
The Podcast of Champions is that above-average Pac-12 podcast that allows fans of every program to enjoy quality content, albeit not as deep as some who cover just one program, save USC and UCLA. It's a perfect combination for fans to be happy with the analysis and season and frustration that Ryan and Dave don't know the hidden gems on the D-line who will be future all-conference players. At the end of the episode, you will know an unbiased opinion on your favorite team while learning more about the other programs in the conference. Podcast, five stars. Yelp for breakfast, three and a half. Time to go eat. Mm, So that one, um, there wasn't an actual joke in there. That was just an accurate description of this show. (laughs) And I'm I'm being kind to us with the above average, but it was just, yeah, it's not going to be as in-depth as a, you know, somebody covering your team. And that might be frustrating sometimes. Kind of depressing, honestly. Well, I mean, that's not why uh, you tune in. I would no, think. got it. I hope, I hope like hell no one is tuning into this thing to know anything about anyone's defensive line, <laughs> including USC's and UCLA's. <laughs> yeah, we got, well, that's why we have Hitler Day on. He can uh, tell you all about the, you know, inside baseball of what's going on with everybody's backup uh, defensive tackles and things like that. He knows what's going on there. So that, that's why we have Hitler Day right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Well, great stuff. Thank you for, uh, sending in those reviews. We don't have a lot of kind of newsy stuff. Some of it we're going to get to in the questions a little bit later on in the show, but just to let you know, we do have one, there's no cancels like David mentioned. We have a game that was scheduled for Friday that has now been moved to Sunday, originally Sunday, 6 p.m., and then they moved it up to Sunday at 4.30 p.m. So uh, that one's going to be USC Trojans. And they'll be hosting Washington State Cougars. So supposed to be the Friday game, David. And uh, we actually were I was doing a live show tunnel vision on Wednesday. And one of my reporters, Keely, your and then Chris Trevino, they broke on the air while we were doing the live show that they were moving the game. To Sunday, we had heard some rumblings. Um, they originally said 6 p.m. and then they moved it to 4:30. So just kind of give everyone an opportunity. Washington State's coming off two canceled games, USC's uh, two um, COVID canceled games, and USC was having had one COVID canceled game. So uh, this gives USC mostly uh, an opportunity to get some of those players back off of quarantine. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think they'll be the only if they actually go forward and play. Won't they be the only one who actually had to go into basically had to only cancel a single game? Because it seems like every team that's been beset by COVID issues has had to miss at least two, right? Yeah, I think so. Because Arizona State has missed. Um, I guess we can pull up the. They uh, missed three. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's crazy how many teams have missed. I I don't you know I don't think I put up an updated schedule to have the uh, the moved game but like usually so we've had well Arizona's only missed one yeah but uh, they weren't but they didn't miss theirs because of an issue on their team they missed it because of an issue on um wait who were they playing oh they, they were playing Utah yeah Utah was yeah, the they one missed because of Utah right Utah missed those two games um Cal actually Cal missed one but Cal was also wasn't it who did they miss against? They missed the opener against Washington, and then they rescheduled the UCLA game till Sunday. So that was similar. I think probably okay. similar to what happened with Cal then. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but mostly you see, like, Washington State, they got knocked out for two. Utah got knocked out for two. Arizona State, they got knocked out for three. Um, so, yeah, this could be uh, the cleaner 
cleanest week, maybe potentially crossing fingers. That's the cleanest week that we've seen in the in the Pac-12. Maybe no cancellations as of now. There's been none, and we're recording this on Wednesday. And I'm I wanted to get. We didn't talk about this before, though, David. But I know the CDC changed their recommendation of a 14-day quarantine to a seven to ten-day quarantine. Seven if you test negative at the seventh day, then you could come out of quarantine. I don't, I haven't heard if any conferences have adapted this yet. I know the, the big 10 has like a 21 day quarantine. Any thoughts on that impacting college football is probably more on college basketball to be fair, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it will probably affect, um, cause I'm sure, uh, the, the different leagues are following those guidelines to some extent. So, um, I would imagine it's going to be shorter quarantine periods for basketball and, and, and that going forward. I don't know if it, I don't know if they're going to change policies quickly enough for football to be affected. Um, but yeah, I think that would definitely impact basketball and um, allow for guys to get back on the court faster. Um, and we'll see, man, you know, this vaccine news is very, very positive. Maybe we won't even have to worry about this crap in a month. Who knows who can really say Ryan. Yeah. Who could say I've had so many more people uh, I know now, you know, this time through uh, get COVID you know, people that I'm fairly close to. I had a, a, a close friend that actually I got exposed to. So I had to quarantine and test a bunch of times. And, you know, uh, so that was that was strange. So it's definitely been closer to home for me this time than, you know, well, I guess it's all been the same pandemic, but this this round of like bad stuff as opposed to the first round. Yeah, well, it's and I think that's true all over. Um, you know, it's just uh, this is as many predicted the the in the exact worst period of the entire pandemic um, in the middle of this late fall, uh, early winter period. So it's getting bad here, getting bad elsewhere, but hopefully there's a little bit of, uh, you know, bright spot on the horizon. Yeah, we hope so. And just, uh, you know, it's one of those things I took, I got a flu shot. So can, can I make some conclusions that the flu shot makes you immune since that's, that's yeah, safe? I think that's totally right. Yeah, no, I, as as a <laughs> as a medical doctor and an epidemiologist and an infectious disease specialist, uh, I can definitively say that uh, flu shot makes you immune to everything, <laughs> except the flu. Except the flu. Right. Like, I, I you're feel still like going to get that about sixty percent of the time, um, <laughs> but everything else, yeah, you're good to go. Please do not take my medical advice. No, they recommended the flu shot. I, I got the flu shot. I was like, I was yeah. in CVS. I just got it. I was like, oh, I figure that makes sense. Um, okay. We don't. Yeah, we're not uh, medical experts, although we play on on uh, on this podcast. Disclaimer. <laughs> do do do. Uh, well, we had some exciting uh, games. Let's do our Pac-12 roundup for uh, for week four, David. And we can reveal our our power rankings uh, as well. So um, first up, we're gonna go with our number twelve team. Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, we could see Arizona action. They were actually on the road in the Rose Bowl taking on UCLA Bruins. Yeah, so this one, um, so I will say in fairness to Arizona, I don't think we saw them at their best, clearly. Uh, Grant uh, Gunnell uh, went down on basically, I think, the first play from scrimmage. I think it was the first play. Like, yeah. I like, just turned it on like a couple plays in, and it was like, Who's yeah. this guy? Like, UCLA brought some pressure, um, and he went down on the throw and landed, I think, wrong on his shoulder. So he was out. First play, um, Will Plummer actually looked okay to start out with, and then things kind of fell apart for him very late. Those two picks came, you know, 
pretty close together towards the end of the game. Um, he was okay. Um, I actually thought he looked pretty good in the first half, and then it just devolved a little bit in the second half. Um, but Arizona was just kind of punchless without him, and UCLA's defense played a huge role in that. They were getting after Plummer quite a bit. They were really aggressive. Um, once again, it was just a very blitz-happy defense. A uh, ton of pressure where you didn't know where it was coming from. They got a couple of sacks off of corner blitzes. Um, it's a really fun defense to watch, uh, which is, I know, I know everyone out there has listened to me, like just talk mad shit about UCLA for the last, I don't know, five years. Yeah. It's actually kind of fun to watch this defense do its thing. Um, they've been really aggressive. Um, and it kind of, I think Plummer just kind of thrust into that, that sort of situation just didn't excel. Um, so they more or less shut down Arizona. I mean, it was, uh, they scored a touchdown, but the touchdown was after Chip Kelly uh, was just feeling himself real hard in the first quarter and decided to go for a fourth and one from his own 25. Um, and Arizona scored immediately after UCLA didn't convert. Uh, but other than that, Arizona scored three points. Um, so pretty strong defensive effort for UCLA. Offensively, the Bruins uh, didn't have uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson again, so they, again, went with kind of a managed game plan of a ton of run and then just short throws in the pass game. Uh, But the run game was exceptional. Uh, Demetric Felton has turned himself into not just like a every-down back, but a very good every-down back. Um, And his counterpart uh, in the backfield, Britton Brown, who's the backup, Really, there wasn't a whole lot of drop-off to him. Um, and I don't think Arizona's defense is any great shakes. Um, they didn't look awesome. But this UCLA running game, I would say the UCLA running game is legitimately pretty good. And I would say the UCLA defense is fun to watch. Um, so UCLA weirdly watchable again. I guess I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They. I mean, they were. It was, like you said, it was early, like early on that going for it on uh, – I mean, that just basically set up the Arizona touchdown. Was it, the, it was like the but UCLA I will say, 25. I will say, I will say, I don't mind the go. I don't mind it. The play call, it was like a speed up of the third down call that also just got stuffed. So I don't think that was necessarily the best move. But go for it on fourth and one from literally anywhere on the field. I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I thought you would be very happy with that. When we get to talk about Stanford, there'll be kind of the opposite going on. Okay. Uh, but that was a little aggressive, turned into some Arizona points, but it didn't matter. Again, like you, like David said, it's a very fun UCLA defense to watch. I mean, just even three games ago, you're just noticing this like, wow, they are putting a ton of pressure on the run game on early downs. They are not letting you run the ball. They'll leave their corners on the island, take chances and stuff you and then put you in long situations and get after the quarterback. And they, they're just, a, it's a playmaking defense that is really aggressive and it's fun to, it's fun to see. And Felton has been an absolute beast out there. He wasn't he a former wide receiver, Dave? Like, yeah. So he came out of high school, he played some running back, um, but then he was more or less put in at the slot um, at UCLA under Mora. They didn't think he was big enough to handle being an every down running back. They thought he'd be a better fit there. And he kind of just didn't really do a whole lot for a couple of years. Then Kelly put him in more of a running back role last year, and he started to show off a lot more playmaking ability, but he still looked like kind of a slot receiver playing running back. And then this year, playing running back full-time, he looks exceptional. When you move a guy like that, you don't expect him to look as good in between the tackles as he does. And he does. He just, it's, yeah. This has been quite the transformation for UCLA for us to be giving them 
that kind of praise. We have the Bruins all the way up at number five. Um, we did, we thought about, you know, there's a lot of teams that are kind of close in that area, but we, you know, we just felt the way UCLA has looked. They're two and two, right? First time ever under Chip Kelly, been 500. Oh, yeah. so, uh, well, they were one and one. They were one and one this year. Okay. They're two and two. So they've been 500 twice okay. under Chip Kelly. First time 500 this late into the season, I guess you could say. Yes, without uh, a doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, very impressive to me um, what they've been able to do. So I've uh, definitely going to be one to watch uh, going forward. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a team to be reckoned with, but they already have two losses. So it's, it's tougher in the South. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have our uh, number 11 team. So disappointing this year. California Golden Bears. Can we flip these two? Because I still have Stanford lower than Cal after this stupid game. Uh, really? Yes. Well, I mean, Stanford won, and we've already I've already put it Fine, out there. Fine, so. whatever, whatever. Okay. And our number ten team, Stanford Cardinal. I mean, they, okay. they they just won. I don't want to put Cal ahead of Stanford. Stanford they don't didn't have a win. Lose this game. Um, they lose twenty four to twenty three over Cal on a blocked extra point to end the game. But I want to bring up one thing. One thing just at the jump here. Stanford punted three times from, I believe, within the Cal 40. Yeah. <laughs> three times. Yeah, there was just one. There was, they no, punted no, no, on the no, Cal. No, 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 no. I want that to bask in silence for a moment. Okay. Just really savor that. Three times. Okay. Yeah. This was a game where Stanford spent so much time trying to give it away. I don't think Davis Mills played well at all. I thought he looked really bad in that first half. Um, Stanford did basically nothing offensively for much of this game and still managed to win on a day where Cal ran the ball for 241 yards. Like, to not... Cal should have won this game. They didn't because I still think that Cal man ball offense is no damn good and Chase Garbers looks wildly uncomfortable in it. But they looked like the better team than Stanford. It's just, I, I sincerely don't know how, how the football gods allowed Stanford to get away with punting three times from within the Cal 40. It was back-to-back drives. They punted from the Cal 34, and then on the next drive, they punted from the 40. So it was like, usually... And, then on, and it, was the, it was the first drive of the game for Stanford where they punted from the Cal 39. <laughs> I forgot, well, real quick, I forgot to mention, uh, we did get the uh, UCLA-Arizona um, game correctly. The Bruins were favored by nine and a half, and, and they covered. We both picked UCLA. We also got, we got this one wrong, and this was, I saw the line as Stanford minus two before. I'm like, oh, we both picked Cal, we won. But uh, when we picked the game, it was Cal minus one and a half. So yeah, it was it just super out, close. It, yeah, it started out and flipped the other way by game time. Right, which is very weird. Um Okay, so yeah, the the problem was like Garbers didn't look good. He only threw the ball downfield, I think, four times, and he didn't complete one of them. Uh, it, you know, it just it was one of those things I was noticing, and they actually put up a graphic like he was over four on twenty plus yard throws, and it it's like they gave a lot of a lot of mistakes from Cal. They gave the the Stanford offense would do well when it was given a gift. 
by Cal and Cal just looked like worn down. So they would make these mistakes and they just didn't have enough juice uh, to recover it. So, um, I mean, the, early on in the first half, like it was, uh, what's it called? Cal had a good two minute drive to end the half, but Stanford blocks the field goal and it ends up being 10, you know, 10, 10. There was also a muff punt that led to a Stanford touchdown. And, you know, I think the broadcast suggested it was because they were, you know, the Cal lines were a little depleted from the COVID stuff. It's hard to really say. So you have a block field goal. You have a muff punt that led to a Stanford touchdown. And then Dave mentioned getting your extra point blocked at the end of the game after Cal goes 91 yards when they look just worn out and they drove to tie it. It was unreal that they were able to tie this game and then they get the PAT blocked. Uh, you know, and then Cal only had one penalty in the game. So only one mistake on the penalty. That penalty reversed an interception. Like, so their only penalty they had was like the most, you know, grueling penalty you could, like it's just the most egregious one as far as one that was so damaging to their cause. It just seemed like Cal was a snake bitten team in this and still had a chance to win but they couldn't execute an extra point that what's 98% usually effective or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, this, I, I, I came away thinking Cal's like probably just they're, they're, they're fundamentally better. Just, it's just not going to be their day. Just not going to happen today. Yeah. It was weird. And I, do you remember that Cal looked like they were in business? Um, if this let, so it was tied, they, they get an interception and there's no flag. They don't. No, no one mentions a flag. You're like, wow, this is great. And and then like late in the process, Pac-12 ref style, there's like this defensive holding, and it wiped out. That was the only Cal penalty. It wiped out the uh, interception. And it seemed really demoralizing. And Stanford scores a touchdown. It's 24-17, and that you know that's kind of where that one went. Yeah, very strange. But um, yeah, I I agree with you. I thought Cal played better. They, I think that you know. What are the Bears now? Are they uh, 0 and They're 3? They're 0 and 3. 0 and 3. Um, I feel like they're going to be a better team in the second half or whatever, the you know the last couple of games. But that, that, there were just so many mistakes in this one. You can't have three huge special teams gaffes and uh, expect to win a game. And so I think Stanford's pretty lucky to win this one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. We're, let's go. Uh, Okay, we, we can get to play the graphic. Next up, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> COVID canceled. Yeah. Uh, Sun Devils still haven't played since week one. Um, how crazy is that? Very crazy. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, really, we haven't seen Arizona State uh, since week one, but that's where we are. Okay. Um, we have our number eight team now Utah Utes and they got to uh, get a rescheduled game they were taking on the number one team in our rankings Washington Huskies Uh, Washington Huskies heart of a champion Uh, 24 unanswered in this game 24-21 over Utah Uh, Utah yeah they had a 21-0 lead at halftime um which was in part due to good stuff Utah was doing. Don't want to take anything away from Utah. Uh, but also um, not not Jake Morris. 
Certainly not Jake Morris, but Dylan Morris. That was more Dylan than Jake Morris. Yeah, that was much more Dylan. He got a little Jakey at the end. I will be, I'll be straight with you. He got Jakey there at the end on that final drive, but very much Dylan Morris uh, threw a couple of picks in the first half um, that obviously derailed a couple of drives that were going okay. They were going fine. Um, And Washington missed a field goal in that first half. So, you know. Utah did some nice things offensively, sure, but uh, a little bit of Washington kind of, um, you know, kicking themselves in the foot or whatever it is that you do with your foot. What do you do? Shoot, shoot yourself in the foot. Shoot yourself in the foot. You yeah. don't kick yourself in the foot. Why you would you could, do that? I mean, you certainly dancer. could. But why would you do that? Yeah, like shooting yourself in a foot. Much more applicable phrase here. Anyway, would, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Um, so it was 21 other thing at the half. Um, Washington kind of just stopped, again, shooting itself in the foot or kicking itself in the foot or what have you uh, in the second half, um, except for one more interception because uh, he wasn't done. Uh, but then our man Jake Morris uh, came back uh, on the final drive uh, to go 12 plays, 88 yards, finishing it off with a nice throw to K. Dotton for the touchdown to pull ahead. Uh, the Washington defense in the second half was a lot, lot better. Um, completely stoned this uh, Utah attack. Um, Jake Bentley did not look sharp in that second half, especially. Um, but I thought it was a really nice showing from Washington's defense in the second half. I thought it was good to see Dylan, Jake, Jacob, Dylan, Dylan, Jacob Morris uh, handling himself well there at the end after not having a great game. Um, and doing it without kind of that Washington run game we've come to expect the last couple of games. They didn't really run the ball very well in this one, as you might expect against Utah. Um, but to rally and win, I think, you know, you're going to have weird, tough games like this. So, you know, I'm not I'm not down on Washington yet. I thought they I thought they played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, this is quite the comeback to be down 21 nothing. You mentioned Kate Otten. He was a stud. Eight catches, 108 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Um yeah, I mean, but, you know, Washington comes back 17 points in the third quarter and that final touchdown you mentioned to uh, to take the lead and, and win the game. It just seemed like Utah came out of the gate playing well and things were sort of going their way and weren't able to kind of capitalize on that, to be shut out in the second half. I mean, you got to figure out a way to scratch out some points. And this is the second week in a row we've seen Utah really do a good job stopping an opponent's run game. And if you remember, you know, Sean McGrew hit seven catches, you know, I mean, seven carries, 36 yards. Uh, you know, Pleasant only had 34 yards on 12 carries. Um, you know, I think they've done a good job of limiting an opponent's uh, ability to run the football. And, you know, then it comes down to Dylan Morris. And, you know, he, was, he had three interceptions, 272 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I don't think he was ready to be like, okay, put the offense on my shoulders, let's go forward. I mean, it really helps to have a guy like that, a young quarterback that's going to have a run game to go along with it. And, um, you know, yardage-wise, it was about the same, 360 to 359 uh, for both teams. But Utah just ran the ball so much, you know, over 215 yards. Um, but, it, you know, we just didn't see Bentley pass them out of this. And I thought in the second half there were some opportunities for him to hit some big plays and, and just wasn't able to. So, you know, it's one of those things where Washington didn't look great. They, you know, they would turn the ball over. They weren't converting third downs, but they hung around and Utah wasn't able to put them away. And then Washington was able to make those plays at the end to, to get the victory. So, you know, extra 10 minutes of possession for Utah. There was a lot of things that went Utah's way, but they couldn't 
find the end zone in the second half and and they let Washington hang around and this is what happens. Yep. Uh, all right, so that was uh, I mean good effort by Utah. We actually moved them up uh, a little bit, but you know that's uh, we'll see. I mean it's Utah's 0 and 2 right now, right? They're uh, you know yeah I'm 0 and 2 yeah 0 and 2 right now, so we'll see where they uh, go from here. All right, next up. Uh, this was a good one. Uh, we have, oh, and that one we both got wrong. We took Washington minus seven, so we didn't get that one right. Uh, this one we have our number seven team. Oregon State Beavers. Taking on our now number four team. Oregon Ducks. Yeah, this was <clears throat> this was uh, probably pick for Pac-12 game of the year so far. Yeah. I would say. For me, um, Oregon State uh, pulled off the upset 41-38 over Oregon. Um, it was, I, I won't say it was totally back and forth the whole way. It was Oregon, I thought, you know, they had command of the game for most of the game, but Oregon State was just constantly hanging around. It was a really strange game. Um, it was super foggy uh, for, I don't know, first three quarters. More or less, maybe, you know, it started to dissipate at halftime, but it was really, really foggy at the beginning. You couldn't really see what was going on. There was one play that I think was a pick early on that the announcers had no idea it was a pick. They call it It like incomplete or something. Yeah, it seemed like the refs didn't have much of an idea right immediately. Um, It was just a weird, weird game, Uh, but neither offense actually seemed all that affected. Um, They were... Moving the ball both sides really well. For Oregon State, it was largely with the running game. Jamar Jefferson, Tristan Jebbia was rough early. Um, but uh, Jamar Jefferson was just a beast uh, for Oregon State. Basically, the whole game looks like, I mean, he looks like the best running back in the country right now. Um, and, you know, Tyler Shuck, I thought, was pretty good early. Um, and the Oregon rushing game, I thought, was solid. Um It really turned late, I thought, um, on the Shuck interception, um, which was when Oregon had the 31-26 lead. And this is when they'd been going back and forth, trading touchdowns. Um, uh, Oregon had gone ahead 24-13 towards the end of the first half. Then Oregon State, on their second drive of the second half, they got it to 24-19. They went for two at that point, didn't get it. There was some consternation later by a bunch of media types, including our man John Wilner, they made up for that two points in just a little bit when they went for two on a later touchdown. Um, but it was 24-19. Oregon then drives 31-19. Then, then Oregon State goes back, drives down again, 31-26. And then Oregon had to hold serve right there, and they didn't. Uh, Shuck threw a bad pick to Nishan Wright for Oregon State. Oregon State picks it up at uh, the Oregon 33, immediately converts that into a touchdown, and then suddenly they're kind of in command. Um, and it still got interesting late, you know, um, Oregon then was able to drive down the field, go up 38, 34, Oregon state then turned it over on downs, um, with, I think it was two fifteen to go. And then Oregon, I thought missed an opportunity. They went really, really conservative. It feel, it felt like, um, on the, uh, ensuing drive, almost setting up for a punt. Um, and then that allowed, uh, the man, Tristan Jebbia, uh, time to, uh, to lead, um, you know, Oregon State to uh, to the brink of victory. And then he went down, unfortunately, with injury, which allowed um, uh, Chance Nolan uh, to come in for the quarterback sneak for the victory. Uh, but it was so dramatic. Like, it was so much fun to watch that whole drive get managed. Um, I think 
there's going to be a knockdown drag out fight right now between Jonathan Smith and Carl Durrell for Pac-12 coach of the year. Um, I think, uh, but I think if you're, if you're grading coach of the three years or whatever, I think Jonathan Smith is winning that hands down. Uh, the job he's done at Oregon state, turning it around to the point where it can do this, um, to Oregon and basically going toe for toe. It didn't feel at any point that Oregon state was getting lucky in this game. It was just, you know, they're a well-coached team with a well-coached offense, and they managed the game perfectly at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really impressive showing uh, by the Beavers, because it did look early on. We've seen Oregon sort of struggle early in these games. This wasn't one of them. They came out, and I thought played well. It was a great opening drive for Oregon. Uh, they were. It seemed like Oregon was determined to start, stop Jamar Jefferson. Um they had like an eight-man front against them, and what do they do? Oregon State hands it off, 82-yard touchdown run. It was crazy, and the, that was through the fog. And it the fog kept getting worse. In the second half, it was fine, but the first half, it really was crazy. That's all people could talk about. People were tweeting out pictures of what it looks like, and if you show like the field level versus um, what the you know the press box people were seeing, and you know it, that was just nuts to kind of see what was going on. Um, there was a, a couple key plays, like there was a second 21, you know, I, I forget what the, the negative play that, uh, Oregon state forced, but it looked like, okay, that, you know, they got Oregon backed up just a beautiful bomb to Devin Williams for 60 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's looked really good. The USC transfer that, that interception from Oregon state was such a great play. And it just looked like an incomplete pass. You couldn't tell. And they were talking about it like an incompletion. They're like, wait a second that, you know, the Oregon State offense is coming out of the field. Like they, the confusion there um, was uh, was weird. Uh, they did go for a fourth and two at near midfield and, and didn't get it. Um, I thought they could just. I mean, I like them running the ball in short yard situations. And sometimes they were trying to do some tricky stuff with Jebbia. Uh, and it's it's really unfortunate that he got hurt at the end of the game. It was it could have been another week, Dave, of Spotgate for Oregon State where. It looks like Jebbia was in for the oh, touchdown. Oh, they were, they were, they were trying to do it because so it's another one. So I, yeah, and I can't believe I forgot this because this was one of the main things I wanted to bring up. It's another one that it's an inexplicable live call. The other one was also an inexplicable live call. Like when it's obvious to anyone watching, including the players on the field, and you can tell by their body language that it was one hundred percent in. It's a touchdown. You don't need to, like, train your eyeballs on exactly where the ball is. And frankly, his entire upper half was in the end zone. Like, there is no way physically that that ball did not cross the plane. But regardless, you give it to him because he got his entire torso into the end zone and you can't make a definitive call. You err on the side of, well, what's reasonable in that scenario? That he was carrying the ball by his crotch or that he had it up near his chest? Yeah. So... He, he got it in um, inexplicable to call that live the same way it was inexplicable to call those Jefferson runs, not first downs against Washington. Um, Oregon state should be, I mean, I won't say they should be three and one, but they should have had a lot closer and a lot more back and forth game with Washington at that point. Um, you know, cause that was still like, I think midway through the fourth quarter when they got jobbed on that call, they would have scored on that drive. And then it's, it's a different game at the end there. Uh, but I think Oregon State, they have reasonable, you know, reason to think they should be three and one right now and in control of the Pac-12 North. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad it worked out for Oregon State and they get the touchdown and they get the win. Um, 
and maybe it helps because you knock a little bit more time off the clock. But you, you know, Jebby ends up getting hurt on the you know the next play, and you're like, okay, well, if they just if the Pac-12 refs called this correctly, Jebby doesn't get hurt. You know, it's like it's just another one of those things where, uh, ugh, it, it you don't want to see that. But that's that's it's what we just, got. With it, there's they're so weird because they're. When you see a bad holding call or a bad PI call, it's like, oh, oh, well, okay, that happens everywhere. But these ones, it feels like these kinds of calls on like horrific spots or like just weird things that go against anyone's feel for the game. It feels like it only happens in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, like just, I've never seen like for a single team to have that happen in what two out of three weeks to just have live spots called so egregiously poorly. And so counterintuitively to like the way you ever see a game called just shocking. Like I and thought those legitimately the, two of the worst calls I've ever seen. And they're kind of understated because they're spots, but horrible calls. It, they were horrible. And then I don't remember which play it was, but we got tweeted this at us. Um, so a photo, one of the might've been Mace Foon. I forget who it was like someone from the Oregon defense came completely across the line. Oh god. Yeah, no, I'm I'm like yes. So also, so they eventually started calling them, but Oregon for much of that last drive was coming off sides a lot. And then there was one play, it was the the play on the goal line actually. Um the Oregon defender was full on in the backfield before the ball was snapped. Like he was leaping through two defenders when the ball was snapped and they didn't call off sides. Like shockingly bad refereeing um, by the goal line there. And when they did call it, then it was only like an inch penalty. But yeah. the one time they didn't call it, they stuffed the play and it's, you know, so now you wasted down and all like it well, really and, was and, just and, stacked and, against Oregon State. And Rod Gilmore really wanted the Pac-12 to explore Zeno's paradoxes with um, having the distance to the goal unto infinity. He was like, <laughs> they should just keep doing it. They should just keep going off sides. <laughs> At some point you're like, Okay, offsides on the defense. We're going to move the ball away from the goal line a little further. Yeah, like, yeah it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At what point do you have the distance enough that you're actually on the goal line? That would be <laughs> that would be the paradox. Yeah, it'd be funny. Like, if you get it, could they do that? Like, if you're within like a, you know, no. Six, now you now you are exploring Zeno's paradox. If you're going to be because, six inches or in, just say if you get offsides, we can't have a penalty that's less than six inches. You get well, a touchdown. Do you, do you do you know the mathematical paradox? So it's so say I'm walking over to your house, right? Right? Okay. I have, I have to go half the distance before I can go the full distance, right? Right. And so at each successive step, I have to go half the distance there before I get there, right? But if yeah. you keep having the distance, I'll never get there. You understand what I'm saying? Right, yes. You're going to half, 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 I'll, half, I'll keep going half, half, half. So it's this paradox of, yes, I have to go halfway there to get there. But this is, this is getting into the semantic argument when it was actually a, you know, a, a, a mathematical thing. So yeah. anyway, that's what but I guess that would be to. at some point you say, okay, we can't take half of a very small number. If you get to that small number, you automatically get the touchdown. But, but can't you, but can't you take half of a very small number? Then you just make a rule that you could, but you're just like, it, well, at a certain level, I would say it becomes so infinitesimal that the foul is actually being committed in the end zone. And then, right? it, yeah, then you grant them a touchdown. Isn't that something? Isn't there something when it's found in the end zone? But maybe not defensively. A safety. Yeah, for a safety. Like if, if you get a holding. Offen- if it was offensive holding. In the end yeah. Zone. I don't know. We're, we're, we're doing a lot of philosophy this, this, yeah. this afternoon. 
all right, well, you know, huge win for the Beavers and uh, definitely makes things more interesting in the Pac-12 North now with Oregon uh, losing. So great, great job, uh, you know, by the Beavs. Good to see them get a, a big win there. Our number uh, six team, Washington State Cougars. They get a meow because it was COVID canceled. No Apple Cup, David. So sad. So sad. It's sad. Uh, number five, UCLA, we talked about. Number four, Oregon, we talked about. Uh, are up, up to number three now. Colorado Buffalo. They, yes. uh, yeah, they had their game canceled against USC, but they get to play a game, and they had it set up uh, against San Diego State. Against the Aztecs. I don't. I don't have a good Aztec one. Yeah, I don't know either. You could be. You could get. Like, I don't yeah. know. You could be insensitive if you do something. So. I could be insensitive. I could go historic. I could just like, what's a what's a like a sound of somebody being a human sacrifice? <laughs> okay, I thought we weren't gonna get it. And that's not insensitive. That's just historical accuracy. Okay. I don't know. Well, no, and then I could get really insensitive because, like, what are the things you know about the Aztecs? That and, you know, Cortez. Um, Okay, well, we'll just move on. That's that's what we'll do. We'll just move on to the football game instead of getting into all that. Uh, Colorado, Buffaloes, Buff Stampede, my man Carl Durrell. Uh, yeah, they uh, they crushed the life out of San Diego State. I don't think this necessarily covers the game very well. They, it was 20-10. to 10. Uh, San Diego State really wasn't in much danger of scoring a whole lot in this game. Um, neither was Colorado, to be fair. Uh, but certainly more so than San Diego State. Uh, the Aztecs... So they're passing. I want to talk about their passing. Can we talk about their passing for just a sure. second? Yeah, yeah. They were 11 of 28 for 76 yards and a pick. That's not good. No. No, that's real bad. Uh, when you average under three yards per pass attempt, that's that's pretty pretty bad. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Were they like the Denver Broncos? And, you know, since it's the same state where they are, you know, starting a wide receiver at quarterback or anything? Uh, no, no. Um, then in the running game, in the running game. So you would think, okay, they, they can't pass the ball very well. They probably can run it, right? We've heard about those San Diego State running backs in the past, right, who can run the ball pretty well. Yeah, not that either. Not that either. They had 31 carries for 79 yards, which is a 2.5-yard rushing average. So in neither area of offensive football did they average more than three yards per attempt, mm. rushing or passing. Uh, that will not win you football games. No. Uh, Colorado was a little bit better. I thought Sam Neuer actually played pretty well. San Diego State always has tough defenses. Sam Neuer, I thought, was okay. Um, wasn't as kind of perfect as we've come to expect from our converted safety to quarterback, who's been actually uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league this year. Um, but he was fine. Um, and that San Diego State defense can always be a little bit weird to deal with. Um, and I thought Jarek Broussard was, once again, um, a workhorse. Uh, he wasn't, again, uh, the explosive, you know, do-everything guy he'd been the previous two weeks, but he did everything they needed him to do in this one. Um, it was kind of a ho-hum win, but um, I, I, I never got the sense, even when it was 14-10 to 10 at halftime, that San Diego State was any great threat to walk away with the victory in this one. Yeah. I didn't watch a second of this game. I don't have the Pac-12 <laughs> network. I was like... Okay, can I get a FUBU like um, free, free trial? And then it was sort of like, 
doing other things that morning. I was just like, ah, screw it. I'm just not going to watch it. Like it's, you know, I, so I would follow like the game tracker thing. Basically San Diego State scored a touchdown and it's only touchdown on a pick six. That's it. That's all they had. That was all. Yeah. Pick six followed by a field goal drive. And then they didn't do literally anything else the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, it was the only out of conference game. Uh, it was the only game on the Pac-12 network. And since there's not really going to be any more, I decided I wasn't going to do that. There might be some championship weekend. So if I'm going to do a free trial of something, uh, I'll do it then. But I was not going to bother. I was like, you know what? I'm just not bothering. I'm not doing this Pac-12 network thing. That's um, what he feels about you, uh, Buffs, because he picked you for how many wins, Ryan? Zero. Yeah. How many do you ha- how many do they have? Three. Three. How many how many losses do they have? Because you had them with what? How many was it? Six. Yeah, we had them with right six. Now, to be fair, didn't have an out of conference <clears throat> game in there. Excuse me, excuse me. How many how many losses do they have right now? A zero. Zero. Yeah. Well, that's why we have them way up at number three. Uh, buff stampede. Yeah. Um, good on the buffs. All right. Uh, our number uh, two team. USC Trojans. Uh, they were. COVID canceled. They moved up in the college football playoff. I mean, I'm sorry. They moved up in the power rankings, but down in the college football playoff rankings. So we got that. Yeah, I, I kind of regret the decision to move them up, but I didn't look too hard at it beforehand. I'd probably have Colorado number two. Ah, well, we'll see. And then number one, Washington, we already talked about. Um, We're not above penalizing teams for not playing. I mean, ASU is number nine. Does anyone think they're the ninth best team in the league this year? It's hard to tell. I mean, they're 0-1. We don't even know. So That's a great point. Great point. 0-1 on a game where <laughs> USC just dominated them to the tune of being down 27-14 to 14 with like four <laughs> minutes left to go in the game. Yeah. Uh, we we could, could have mentioned this at the top. The college football rankings came out. Um, yeah, USC was Bart 20. Noise. Oregon was, what, 20? No, Oregon 23 and Washington was 22. Yeah. So, doesn't matter. That's all that stuff. There's also been... Uh, we forgot to mention uh, a couple of game cancel. I mean, uh, bowl game cancellations. Um, so the Sun Bowl, which was one of the longest running bowls, uh, that was canceled this week. And then also, just today while we were recording this, the Las Vegas Bowl that was going to be a Pac-12 and SEC. So right now, um, there's uh, it's it's. I think the Pac-12 is hurting more than anyone as far as bowl cancellations go. So those are. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty big deal. So John Canzano said that, that you have to get on the phone with the Big Ten and set up some postseason crossover series and sell them to ESPN or ABC because with the Las Vegas Bowl down, Pac-12 is down to the fewest bowl partners outside of the New Year's Six uh, of any FBS conference. So that's uh, that's not good. You could just not schedule any more games. You know, I've thought about that too because people were asking questions like, well, could you schedule the Apple Cup for after? And it's just like, well, um, I mean, I, it's one of those things where you, you, you're trying to get to the end, but you don't really want to go past the end. Like, the end is the end, you know? Like, people don't really want to do more if they don't have to. Well, okay, if, you, if you're going to do it, do something, like, stupid and fun. Like, because, all right, so this is a weird year, right? Where I think any uh, division champion, any, like, conference champion, there's going to be, like, some consternation about it, like, you know, uh, did they actually, was that, was that legitimate? You know, ASU only played one game. Would they have been a contender if they'd played more games? Yada, yada, yada. Do like a stupid tournament over like 
you know, give it a couple of weeks, have everyone bubble up or whatever you call it. Um, if they're all willing to do it and they all volunteer for it and then do like a stupid tournament over like a couple of weeks and, you know, get a real champion out of this thing, out of the Pac-12. But uh, don't involve other teams. Don't try to do bowl games. Come on. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just a crazy freaking situation. But it's one of those things where what are you going to do? I don't know um, what they should do, but it's not looking good for some of these Pac-12 uh, bowl. I, I, they yeah. should just not play any more games after the scheduled games are over. That's my yeah. that's my that's, that's, that's my good. that's my studied position. All right. Uh, well, before we go on and uh, preview the games, I want to tell everyone about my bookie. It's crazy in sports right now. You got late fall college football. We saw that crazy NBA bubble. The UFC's doing what they can on Fight Island. 2020 has been unlike any other year, which is why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. So get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. We got. Turkey Day from this past week, uh, past weekend, where they had a great special there. Uh, they're going to have other specials going in the future. If you're a first-time customer, have been playing with MyBookie for years. There's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. So you can sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boost a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table slot and card games you expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is my bookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at my bookie. And when you do, use promo code PAC12 to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in 200 bucks, they'll match you with another hundred into your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season in my bookie, so come join in the fun and win some cash while you're at it. So thanks great to uh, read. that was yeah, a fantastic thanks. read. Thanks, man, and thanks to uh, my bookie for being part of it. And now we got a preview. We got six games to preview for Week Five because it's not been that way uh, recently. We've had a bunch of cancels. We, we're not there yet, so let's see what happens. But first up, David, we got to talk about Stanford Cardinal. On the road, taking on Washington Huskies. <laughs> and real quick before you do that, Dave, I forgot to mention. So we went three and two this week in our picks. I haven't been doing a great job of recapping. Um, but we both we had the same picks because the, the game we picked differently would canceled. But uh, right now I'm 11 and seven and you're back to 500 at nine and nine. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this game. 1 p.m. on Big Fox on Saturday. Uh, Stanford going at number 22, Washington. Washington is an 11.5-point favorite. I, I truly don't feel that's enough points. Um, I was I was completely unimpressed with Stanford uh, against Cal. I've been unimpressed with them all year. Um, I, thought, uh, I thought Davis Mills didn't look particularly great. I thought that running game didn't look particularly great, and I don't think their defense is any good. I mean, that Cal offense has not been like fantastic this year um they were able to move the ball especially on the ground against stanford so i think washington's run game is going to get it back in gear um i think they're going to feel you know they want to put on a good showing after you know looking a little bit um bumbling in that first half so yeah give me washington and those points at home um i want or not those points give me washington to cover the points at home um i think it's going to be like a two or three touchdown win 
I think you're right. I think that you're going to see Washington run the football much more effectively. I don't think you're going to see Stanford come out. You know, they're going to do some crazy stuff like punting inside the 35 or whatever. But I think Washington will be able to take advantage. Stanford doesn't have the defensive front that Utah did. And I think they stymied some of the stuff Washington wants to do. So I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I'd like I like Washington by a couple touchdowns in this game. Next up, we have Colorado Buffalo. They'll be on the road taking on Arizona Wildcats. All right. So Arizona, uh, after losing to, um, to UCLA, they had a couple of their defensive backs opt out. Yeah. Um, which, not great. I don't think it was two guys who were necessarily playing a ton. Um, but that was – so they've had – Six scholarship DBs now that either opt out or leave the team in the past week. That that doesn't sound good to me. That sounds like a team that might be having some um, implosions from within. But that's just some context for you. This is at 4 p.m. on FS1, Colorado, traveling to Tucson. Colorado is a seven-point favorite. I will take Colorado uh, under the assumption that Arizona is, in fact, imploding. Um Arizona's really had one decent-ish effort this year, and that was against USC. Um, and you can see how that one maybe was a little bit of sleight of hand now in retrospect. Um, you know, it was a newish defense uh, that USC hadn't, you know, hadn't scouted out because they didn't know what Arizona was going to be running this year. So maybe it looked a little bit better than it actually is. Um, I think it's been clearly found out pretty hard the last couple of weeks. Um, I think Colorado will be able to exploit it. Um, and frankly, Arizona's offense, I don't know if Grant Gunnell is going to be back this week. I wasn't impressed with Will Plummer uh, on balance over the course of the game. So, yeah, give me give me Colorado. I think they win this one on the road uh, relatively comfortably. I do, too. Uh, Arizona did cover one game this year. That was the USC game. Um, I don't think... They're going to cover this one against Colorado. There, I saw a report from uh, um, from Michael Lev. It seemed like there's a possibility that, that Grant Canal comes back. It didn't seem like it was a seizing, season-ending injury, but there's one of those things where it seems like things are circling the drain right now for Arizona. I think Colorado, you know, they did a good job just in the, that mix-up game last week uh, against uh, San Diego State. I think they're going to come in and play focused uh, at Arizona and get the win. So I will agree with you there, and we will both take Colorado laying seven points. All right, next up, we got a team that's probably a little PO'd right now. Oregon Ducks. And they'll be on the road uh, taking on California Golden Bears. Yeah, so this one's interesting. All right, it's at 4 p.m. on ESPN, number 23, Oregon, going at California. Oregon is only a 10-point favorite, which makes me feel a little bit concerned. Because I would have had Oregon as, like, a 14-point favorite. Um, So I'm a little confused what people are seeing in Cal that maybe I'm missing. Um, Cal played a close game uh, on the road at Oregon State. And they played a close game against Stanford. Um... I guess I could talk myself into it. I, I, I Maybe I'm just building too much into it that they just got absolutely smoked by UCLA. But maybe UCLA is good. You know? We just don't know. Yeah. Uh, Oregon minus 10. 
I think they're going to be fired up to do this one pretty big. Yeah, give me Oregon. I don't feel great about it, but give me Oregon. Um, I think they're going to be, you know, I, I, I'm still not like uh, Mario Cristobal's a stunning X's and O's coach. I thought he kind of horribly mismanaged a lot of situations at the end of that game, including, oh, and I didn't talk about this, the Oregon-Oregon State game. There was one point where Oregon State had an illegal man downfield on, I think, one of their last two touchdown drives. And um, at that point, the main thing is you want to eliminate downs. Five yards doesn't matter. And he elected to accept the penalty. It didn't end up mattering because I think they got the conversion on the next play anyway. But just boneheaded uh, end-of-game situation management. Um, Anyway, uh, I think he's a rah-rah emotional guy for sure. And I think he's going to have Oregon fired up for this game to put a beating on Cal. So, yeah, give me Oregon. All right. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Obviously, I don't feel good about it either. Uh, The Ducks in every game this year have been double-digit favorites. They covered the first two uh, against Stanford. And then Washington State, that was a real backdoor cover. Like, that was pretty lucky that they covered that game. But obviously didn't cover against UCLA and then ended up losing to Oregon State. I feel like Cal is getting back, can get back to full strength, and the lines will be a little bit better. Those special teams gaffes really worry me, but playing at home, I, I feel like they can keep this one close, and maybe it's like a nine-point win for Oregon. I think Oregon's going to win. I think it could even be by a little bit more than a touchdown, but 10 points is a lot. I'm going to go with Cal. So it's, i just not seen – I think it's like Oregon should be covering these games, and they haven't covered the last two, and really we're lucky to cover one of those two that they did cover. So we'll disagree on that one. Uh Next one we have up coming off a big win. Oregon State Beavers. On the road, taking on Utah Utes. So, all right, this one's on at 7.30 on ESPN. Oregon State traveling to Utah. Utah's an 11-point favorite, which might feel weird to you until you realize that Tristan Jebby is 100% out for this one. And it'll be Chance Nolan starting at quarterback. Um, I haven't been super impressed with Jebby this year. I thought he made some good plays in that game, but I don't think he's been any great shakes. I just have no idea what to expect of Chance Nolan. Um, He was a class of 2020 guy, so he's a true freshman. Um, He was a three-star, and you've now exhausted my knowledge of Chance Nolan. Um, Juco. Juco kid. Okay, so he's not a true freshman. He's a Juco kid. Well, all right. Now you've exhausted my knowledge of Chance Nolan. <laughs> um, so, I, I, whenever you see like a backup quarterback come in, sometimes they can be like total gamers, and sometimes they're going to generate three points against a defense like Utah. And I have no idea what to expect here. I think Oregon State's going to try to lean on its running game, but I think Utah has been very good about taking away teams' fastballs um, defensively for many, many years now. And even with a relatively new defense, they've shown a pretty good propensity already for taking that away from Washington and, and USC before that. So uh, the thing is the 11 points. If it was Utah minus seven, I don't think I would bat an eye taking Utah. Um, but I think Oregon State's defense might be enough to flummox Jake Bentley and this Utah offense. I think it could be a really low scoring game. Um, so I'll take Oregon State just because the 11. Um, but I don't know what to expect from Nolan. This is the one I probably feel least confident about going into the week. Yeah, man, give me those points. I mean, when you don't know, you, you know, it's 0-2, you know? Like, 
you're going to make them an 11-point favorite? Like, hell no. I'm going to take Oregon State. Utah could easily just boat race Oregon State, right? We've seen that before. Oh, yeah. No, this this could easily be like a – and I won't say like Oregon – Utah is going to like blast them off the field, but it could easily be like 27-3. to 3. Like yeah. it, it like totally could happen. Utah's really good against the run, but I feel like Jamar Jefferson's going to have success where, you know, USC, like they had a couple of their running back running backs were out. Washington, you got like Sean McGrew, who's you know not the biggest dude in the world. Um, I, I feel like Jefferson's going to get his against um, Utah. And I, what were you going to say about Tristan Jebby? Like, you know what he really did well? Like, I, I'm not worried about the backup quarterback as much there because it's not like I know exactly what Jebby is bringing to the table to begin with. It sucks that he's out. And I think that's a Pac-12 problem that he's out. But 11 points in this COVID weird thing, I'm going to take this all. Unless I feel super confident. Um, that you know, one of these teams is bad or other one's really good, like the Stanford Washington game. I'm not going to do that with this one. So give me the points in Oregon State. All right. Uh, let's go this one. UCLA Bruins. They'll be on the road, hopefully, taking on Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> yeah, we're all going to hope that ASU can finally play a game. Uh, this is 7:30 on FS1 on Saturday. UCLA traveling to Tempe. ASU is a three-point favorite, um, which feels like a complete shot in the dark by the odds makers. Like, just no idea what to make of ASU because they played one game. Um, UCLA is playing very good football right now, um, or I would say good football right now. Uh, Probably the best of the Chip Kelly era at UCLA, which, again, we're not talking, we're not setting a huge high bar here, but it's it's been okay. It's been fine to watch the last couple of weeks. Um, I've been doing my ASU preview. Um, so they are going to be down a couple of DBs in this one. Jack Jones and Ashari Crosswell, um, are both more than likely out for this. They're indefinitely suspended for some reason. Um, Jones was a starting cornerback and Ashari Crosswell, you might've thought, oh, he's the starting safety the last couple of years. Apparently he got beat out, um, in the opener, um, by a grad transfer. So maybe not that big of a blow to their secondary, but ASU has, some pretty good dudes at each level of that defense. Um, Jermaine Lowell, I think is how you pronounce his name up front. He's really good. Um, Merlin Robertson, uh, Darian Butler at linebacker are both pretty good. And then Chase Lucas uh, in the secondary um, and their safety guy. What's his name? Yeah, it's gone. It's floated out of my brain. Um, but they've got a. I, I think they've got talent in the in the entire at, at every level of the defense um, that could stress UCLA's offense in ways that uh, the last couple of defenses they've faced, and yes, I'm including Oregon there, uh, haven't really been able to do. Um, so I'm interested to see how UCLA does with that challenge. But then I think ASU's offense they could have some issues with what UCLA is doing defensively with all of the blitzing, all of the movement, all of the shifts. I think it could be confusing, especially without live game reps for these dudes the last three weeks. Um, it's one thing when you're kind of playing with shifting, you know, schemes every week where you're seeing a different type of defense every single week, but they haven't seen any defense besides their own in three weeks. Um, maybe that's allowed them time to scout UCLA well, um, but we'll see. Uh, I think this could be a really, really competitive game, um, but I'm going to take UCLA. I think they're going to, uh, at the very least, cover the three. And I would probably pick him to win outright. Yeah, there's just too many unknowns for me. Oh, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson more than likely will be back. Um, the odds are that he was in contact tracing. Okay. 
So they haven't been they haven't disclosed that. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take uh, UCLA as well. We haven't seen Arizona State for a while. A couple DBs are going to be out. I just like the way um, UCLA's defense has been so feisty and they can run the football. Um, so give me give me the Bruins here. It's three points with an unknown team. It's like it's, at some point when you you don't know what you get from one side and you're getting points on the other, I'm just going to take those points. So I will do that and play the odds. It will work out in my favor. Okay. Uh, our last game this is the rescheduled one we talked about. Washington State Cougars. And they will be taking on USC Trojans. This one's on at 4.30 on Sunday uh, on FS1. Washington State traveling to USC. USC's a 13-point favorite. Um, that seems crazy to me. Um, do we know who's who was causing the issues for USC? So they haven't reported that, but um, it's basically the offensive line. And they're going to get some of them back, but my guess is you're going to see some starters that were, you know, regular offensive line starters are going to be out for this. Oh, game okay. Give, give me Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm taking Washington State as well. I'm not taking USC as a double-digit favorite. I feel like Washington State's going to come in healthier. Um, they've had two weeks off for the covid stuff. Um, USC will still have a few issues. They're not going to be able to um, practice much going into the game. I think that's something we don't talk about that's, a whole that lot. That seemed to work out well with all of Clay Helton's bowl games over the years, right? <laughs> exactly. But we heard from Clay Helton on Tuesday, and they had to take seven of the previous nine days off. Um, they don't really have enough players for a scout team, and we're assuming that's with the offensive line. He's not talking about that, the position group uh, specifically. But, yeah, that's a – that's a bit of an issue and just, you know, not really trusting USC to be a big favorite like that. Um, yeah, I'm going to take uh, Washington State in this one. I think they're going to have a little bit of a covid advantage, um, but they're, they're a good team, too. They're a feisty team. I think it'll be a close game. I, USC probably wins, but I'm going to say, you know, 13 points is a lot. I've seen the line up to like 14 and a half, so I'm, I'm bummed we didn't get more points than this. I don't know where you're getting your line. Sometimes you screw us, Dave. I don't screw you. Um, I, I screw, uh, yeah, maybe I screw us a little bit, but, uh, I'm getting them from, uh, ESPN. Okay. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it's an easier interface to look at all the different things I need to look at. Nice. So screw you screw everyone out there who judges. Screw you judgy people. Okay. Let's take a great break and come back and answer some questions. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. Let's try to get through these, David. Uh, we got Alex in Santa Barbara. Pick your poison, Ryan. Hello, David and Ryan. These are uh, There are two topics I would love to have David Woods completely derail this podcast that claims to be about Pac-12 football. So I've decided to play a game with you. Here are two topics you would not want to talk about that David will enthusiastically discuss, and you have to pick your poison of which one you let David go off about. So my choices are the whiny, complaining snowflake, that is Matt Leinert on Twitter, or UCLA basketball, baby. David, I hope you have fun. Alex and SB. Uh, I mean, I'm cool with David talking about either one of these. Uh, I think he'll have more fun talking about Matt Leinart, so I'll let him go there. Okay, so Matt Leinart, um, you know him well, I'm sure. I uh, yeah. He, he uh, tweeted out something the other day about um, California, or L.A. County, I believe it was, closing indoor dining or closing outdoor dining or something like that. Yeah, closing outdoor dining. And the way he phrased his tweet was like, oh, I should just move out of this state. Oh, my God, this is the worst. And it's just shut up. Like, just shut up. Like, it. Uh, come on. It just shut up. Just shut up, Matt Leinart. Shut up up and that's like the extent of my argument against matt liner because i don't mind if that comes out of your mouth i don't mind if it comes out of anybody's mouth besides matt liner you can't say that <laughs> sorry buddy no shut he was, up he was getting crushed on twitter and like I, the sentiment i didn't like i felt like the, everything i researched there wasn't a whole lot of data to say outdoor dining is what the problem is right now um no, I mean, no, no. I, Here, I'll, I'll give you the data i'll give you the data on this <clears throat> It's a it's an infectious disease where gathering together with others is a bad idea. So right. whether or not outdoor dining is linked to like the most or the the mediumest or the slightly above average spread or whatever, it's an easy thing to just say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. You have to grab your food and leave like that's an easy thing to do. And yeah, it hurts people and it sucks and it's bad for jobs and all that kind of stuff. And that's a failing of our society, but it's not a failing of the people who are trying to regulate the spread of this disease. If your objection is to people not being able to keep their businesses open because of this, then you should be rallying against the government not actually providing you money. It shouldn't be rallying against the people who are actually trying to prevent the spread of the disease. Like it's well, it's, just because you're trying picking, to do it's the picking a lower level problem when there is a much higher level problem that's the actual root of the issue. The issue I have is. Just because you you're quote unquote trying to solve the problem doesn't mean whatever you're doing is Agreed. not only effective. Agreed. I but, think the curf the curfew thing was really stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. I mean, there's just a lot of dumb things. And then, you know, why could this be open and that can't be open? And it, to me, it's just like okay, that's you're it's going too far in some of these instances. Just because you're like, hey, we're trying to save lives, that's great. But if you're trying to save lives by shooting people, you're not going to get praised for doing that. You know? Yeah, like, but that's, that's not what this is. So I agree with you, and I think there is, I, I think there's two fundamental issues going on. I think, one, all of these things feel like half-assed and haphazard because they are, um, and you can clearly see the machinations of what is left open and what isn't and what they're favoring and what they aren't, and it's disgusting like the different things they're prioritizing versus what they're not prioritizing. 
and there's some blatant hypocrisy going on, right? There's all these government leaders deciding to go eat at the French Laundry or whatever when they should be setting a better example for everyone. But the thing is, it's not as if the regulations are stupid just because these people are craven and awful, right? <laughs> like, just because all of these people are cretins who should be, like, chained together at the bottom of the ocean doesn't mean that the thing we're talking about is still not a serious thing. Yeah. Like, both things can be true. The policy is good, and the people implementing it are actual awful human beings who should never hold a position of power again in their lives. I love and it. we can hold both of these thoughts in our brains at the same time, except not if we're Matt Leinart. Matt <laughs> Leinart, you're not allowed to opine about anything except how to take advantage of having much more talented people around you. That's the only thing you can talk about. All right. Well, I'm curious when we get into the discussion, the Stanford discussion, we have a question on that a little bit later, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I had sure. some, uh, but we'll get to that. So let's, uh, you're up next, I think, with, uh, cool. is it Perk who's up? Yeah, this is from our man, Perk Nowitzki. Uh, happy belated birthday, David. Hope you were able to drink as much chocolate milk as you wanted. <laughs> uh, one, my first question is for Ryan. In late 2019, early 2020, I saw a bunch of side-by-side -side photos on Twitter comparing the size of UCLA's USC's recruiting staff to those of other top programs such as Ohio State, Clemson, etc. USC's was much smaller. Does that fall on Clay Helton not building a staff, or do you think there are money issues, resistance from top brass that has limited his staffing? I think it was... Uh... Real quick, I mean, people don't care about this too much, but just it was more of a across the board bad leadership where you had a, a head coach that wasn't very strong that wouldn't have demanded things. Like if, you know, if like an Urban Meyer or a Pete Carroll or someone was the head coach, they would have saw what everyone else is doing and say, hey, we need this. And Clay Helton was more of the I'm just happy to be there. And then you also had incompetent people in the athletic department that didn't know what you needed. And it was well, the way we've always done. It. Let's keep doing it that way. So I think it was a combination of things. Yeah. Two, my second question is for both Ryan and Dave. In light of Harbaugh's struggles at Michigan and the lack of a contract extension, how do you guys see most athletic departments handling of hiring and firing decisions to play out in the next few months or so? Do you see programs avoiding more buyouts than they otherwise would, or do you see the similar cutthroat attitudes present in a non-pandemic environment? I kind of tend to think we're not going to see as many like big firings that there could be. Like, does Texas get rid of Herman? Does Michigan get rid of Harbaugh? Like, I you know, USC is probably not getting rid of Helton. I don't think you're going to see some of those just because of the pandemic. I think 2021 might be a banner year for big time programs coming open, but I, I think it's going to wait a year. I don't know. What do you think? Dave? I think it'll be lower level than in the past, but I could still see some proactive institutions making the call um, on the assumption that they're going to have to make up a bunch of money next year. And are they really going to do it with a lame duck head coach? So they're going to want to sell season tickets in spring, anticipating that a vaccine will have made it so that everyone can get their heads around actually going to football games again next fall. Um, and they're going to want a guy in place who can generate some of that excitement. So I think it makes a dollars and cents decision from some of these schools. I think there's going to be a reality on the ground that some of them can't afford to pay buyouts right now. But I think some will have enough reserve cash or they can borrow it or they have donors who are pissed off enough, yada, yada, yada. But I think you'll see some still some big time firings. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if either of those two happen, Michigan or Texas, um, especially Texas, because they're crazy there, um, that they might do it just because they're going to want to shore things up for 2021 and have people actually excited about the football team. Um, yeah. Because going into next year, they might not be with uh, with Herman um, at this point. The Michigan thing is so weird to me because up until this year, I would have said everyone arguing that Harbaugh's doing a terrible job there is just being a complete psycho. 
Um, Michigan, I mean, it's got a history in the whole thing. It's not like it's a, a super desirable, you know, situation. Um, and I think demographic shifts might make it even less so over time. Um, and he was doing pretty well there. Um, I think the bottom's fallen out this year, but it's a weird year. Um, but I do think there, there's some reason to think uh, it's it's on the downward slope there. But they were really just a spot away from the college football playoff in, what was that, 2016? Um, and it's just so weird to see how far it's fallen so quickly for Harbaugh there. Um, yeah. I think that's a, a testament to him wearing out his welcome in places as well. It doesn't seem like he's... Even for a native son, he's getting a ton of goodwill from the uh, from the constituents there. No, not at all. <laughs> um, three, my last two questions are for Dave. After three games, has your opinion on Chip Kelly's UCLA changed at all? In both games they've lost, it's been by seven points or less with turnover with four turnovers. And one could think that they might have won those games with little to no turnovers. At this point, they just seem short of talent at certain positions. Is there any optimism moving forward, or is it more of a we shouldn't be in this position three years in? Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, talking about holding two thoughts within our heads at the same time. I think, yes, I think it's been fun. Um, I think you can have reasonable optimism about the course of this season, the potential for UCLA to go two and zero here down the stretch and beat ASU and USC. I think that's completely on the table. Um, and finishing with Chip Kelly's first good season at UCLA, you know, four and two or whatever with the seventh game. Um, but then you can also hold the other thought, which is there's no reason they should have been in this position where they had to struggle through an absolute nightmare of two seasons to get to the point where they have a kind of good team halfway through this season. Um, so I think it's two, of two minds. And the point you make about the cer- short of certain talent at certain positions, that's been what we've been talking about. The recruiting failures, the roster management failures, um, that's that's on chip. That's not, you know, he's not been building positions. He's been breaking some of them down. Um, and the talent level reflects that in certain areas. So um, I'm I'm in, you know, I, I'm still, do I think he's going to ultimately succeed at UCLA? No. Um, but if they finish the year four and two or five and two with whatever the seventh game ends up looking like, and they look pretty good doing it. And in the meantime, recruiting starts to pick up a little bit because heading into this cycle, or into December and then February, this looks like it's going to be one of the worst UCLA recruiting classes of all time. Um, so if if that can pick up a little bit, I'll be a little bit more optimistic. But the fundamentals of his program, um, the talent, the development, all that kind of stuff, that needs to he needs that to have an influx, and we're we're going to have to see if that's going to happen. But certainly in the micro, optimistic about the course of the season. Yeah. I'm optimistic, um, too. Way more optimistic than I was in the beginning of the season. It looks like a different team. So Yeah, we'll they're fun they to watch. Like, they're actually fun to watch. Yeah. So that's, you know, as far as my minimal standards, especially for 2020 with everything else going on, fine. I'll, something that doesn't make me want to claw my eyeballs out when I'm having to watch <laughs> it for my job, that's great. Fine. Uh, four. Uh, following up on my U.S. history question from last week, if you had to pick one member from George W. Bush's cabinet to replace Larry Scott, who would it be? Man. Powell? Oh, God. Or Condoleezza, um, maybe. Condoleezza Rice? Condoleezza is the one that makes sense. Um, frankly, W. He's I would like take him. W. Yeah, because right. he's really into sports, and it keeps him out of doing anything that might kill another million Iraqis. So just have him do that, and he'll, he'll, he'll run a sports league just fine. He'd be he great for it. 
Didn't he run like the or he was on he, the Rangers? He was, over, he was the owner of the Rangers. Yeah. He loved doing that. Like, yeah, no, have him be the the Pac-12 commissioner. All right. Yeah. And they said, hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well, Perk. Thanks for the, that uh, email. Appreciate that. We got our buddy John and Brea. He says, dear Ryan and Dave, listening to Dave Bartu, Mr. 99.2% of the time. I'm right every time. Talk about how the college football committee works should frustrate every college football fan on earth. And just listening to him talk would frustrate anyone. But I'm not upset with him, even though I think he's full of it. Okay. He was wrong about the, the rankings. Um Perhaps uh, he has figured out the lazy formula the so-called, quote, committee uses to develop their set of rankings that are meaningless. Except in this case, these meaningless rankings also function to distribute millions of dollars to athletic programs. If what he is saying is true, the college football playoff committee scrapped everything from the BCS era except for the computer modeling. Margin of victory is a factor? Seriously? Hmm. Funny how the committee claims that doesn't matter anymore. Rankings don't matter at all? Well, maybe not after the first CFP rankings, which always seem to be based on the AP and coaches polls. Yeah, I will make a note that that's the thing that like because I was asking that question right off the bat and he was like, nope, nope. And I'm like, no, it obviously does. Every single year when the CFP rankings come out, especially since that first year where they were like, I thought, demonstrably different. They have closely followed like they've been pretty close to the AP and coaches polls. Yeah. And goes on. Continue. Have we all been duped into believing the committee is into it for more than a golf boondoggle and a catered lunch? They didn't want to do this in person, which was weird. As a fan, which of the different college football eras do you like best? The bowl era, where the polls determine the national champion. This favored teams who were on TV, Notre Dame, USC, and other, quote, blue bloods. The BCS era, this favored the SEC because they figured out the formula quicker than anyone. The current CFP four-team playoff era. The teams that make the playoff are most likely to continue to make the playoff thanks to the recruiting boost. John and Brea. Mm. Um, well, for the bull era, I wasn't paying super close attention for much of that because I was uh, 13 when the BCS came in. Um, so mine would be mainly judging between the BCS and the current college football playoff. I would probably go college football playoff, but I did like um, the... I liked the computer factor of the BCS. Um, I think if you married the CFP with a four-team system to the BCS computerized system, I think that might be the perfect mix. Um, because I think the issue with the BCS is, you know, when you only end up with two teams and there's a marginal difference between two and three in their computerized formula, well, you know, that kind of sucks. But if you get all four teams in there, then you kind of see, you know, what was noise in that value and what wasn't. Um, so that would be my pick, would be a married version of the CFP and the BCS and get this committee the hell out of there. Yeah, I kind of would like that too. But I, I'd still probably do playoffs. I like seeing four teams at least have a chance. Like the bowl stuff would be weird because you'd have like Nebraska playing in the Orange Bowl and like Ohio State's playing in the, the Rose Bowl. But you'd love to see those two teams play, but they didn't. So which one do you think was better? So there was so much, you know, subjectivity to that so I'll, I'll go with the, the playoff but it's, it's still not perfect obviously the bull era i will say this though it was probably the most honest of the bunch because it is ultimately subjective and so just like saying yeah well frankly they look better so we're just going to name them the national title winner yeah like that's fine because that's basically what we're doing at the end of the day anyway all right I UCF, think you're didn't, next. ucf didn't get into the college football playoff um sure. all right this is from danny question 
Uh, with Santa Clara County not allowing any contact sports and the California schools being at risk to not even play in the state, at what point are we willing to admit that the season shouldn't have started? Or, at the very least, at this point, what is the rationale for the Pac-12 to even continue? I know it's easy to turn this into a political thing and even argue about if games should be canceled or not and what calculus goes into that, like both of you have done on the show already, but honestly, how disconnected do you have to be from reality to continue this joke of a season as we continue to break daily COVID records and cases and deaths and just cancel game after game in a seemingly worthless season where the top four teams at the start of the season are the ones that are going to be there in the end anyways? It's almost like the conferences that politically aligned a certain way and disregarded COVID are being rewarded for it. My question to you all is, do you all feel like we've reached a point where it's more reasonable for the Pac-12 to pull out with near impossible CPF odds? Why are CFP odds? Uh, why would the California schools even try to find anywhere to play anywhere else where, sorry, to find elsewhere to play now? Uh, Dave, I know you're likely already here, but Ryan, being the more conservative one, is there a line for you where you think it'd be wise for the Pac-12 or college football, college football to put a stop to the season? What is that line? So we'll stop there. You can answer that question. So, um, yeah, I've gone on a couple of rants on this. I, if you want to argue that the season should have never happened, that's fine. I would say once you made that choice, you're going there. I don't see a reason to stop it at this point. And I've gotten some Twitter arguments with people talking about Santa Clara. I think Santa Clara's decision, um, it could be like one of those penny wise, pound foolish sort of things. Because you've basically forced two sports programs. Uh, all of the Stanford teams and and the the 49ers out of state. They were both running. You know, Stanford football hasn't had a positive case since July, and there's this little micro you know bubble or whatever of Stanford athletics, and they're doing a good job of keeping their people safe. Is that or, fair? Or that they or 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 Santa Clara County which is handling this better than basically everywhere else in the country has done a good job of protecting Stanford and every other constituent in their County. Okay. I'm not going to say that. I don't think that's true, but Stanford, well, we've they've, seen they've this had across. An extremely, extremely low case rate in that. County. Right. And so what they're trying to do is now put everyone else in danger, in my opinion, because you are taking these little mini bubbles, especially with the, you know, you got the 49ers, you got Stanford athletics, John Wilner tweeted out where all of these Stanford programs are going to be over the next few weeks, and it's all going to be out of state. So they have a system in place. They're getting all this daily testing, and they're doing a good job of keeping people safe, I, I feel. Like, they're doing a good job. There are problems across society, but there's also places where it, a lot of those problems are taken care of. Like, there's not a lot of homelessness going on in Beverly Hills. So you kind of let Beverly Hills handle their own thing. But this is a case where you have Stanford doing a good job. Now you're disrupting their process. And you're going to say, okay, Stanford football, go live in the Pacific Northwest for the next two weeks. Uh, Stanford basketball, you're going to go play in the Maui Classic in North Carolina and stay there. Uh, the 49ers, why don't you move to the Arizona facility where there's more problems? I feel like if you're, the whole point is you're trying to make society a better place, a safer place. Uh, for COVID, you don't want to spread the, you know, spread this virus. This is going to your your intentions were to make people safe, but the consequences hey, are a, they're unintended. Hold on, they're unintended consequences that now you're going to make people less safe because you're disrupting this this. You're not going to cancel the NFL because Santa Clara County Health Department says you can't tackle in Santa Clara. So no, 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 you've no, no, made no, no, it worse. And you, in my opinion, so, you've made so things worse. Ryan, Ryan, you are a big individualist, personal responsibility person, and yet you're pinning the decision by Stanford 
by the 49ers to exit the county that they are currently housed in to continue playing their sports game, you're blaming that on the county itself. No, no, that's their proactive decision to do that. They could, because their county has decided it's unsafe to do this crap, they could decide to not do it. But they are electing to make that decision. That is not the county forcing them to make that decision. They are making it on their own. If what amount of money? What amount of this, money? What amount of money is, is Stanford actually making from these final two games of the year? And why is it worth it for them to do this? If your parents tell you to do something, and you, you know, it, they're not to do something that you really want to do, and all of your friends are doing it, and they're, you're the only parents in the in the whole school that are saying you can't do it, you could say, you know what? They're my parents. I'm going to listen to them. Or you could say, you know what, why can every other kid in the school do it and I can't? Now, maybe the parent, you know, you don't have the choice or could you go live with one of your friends? Maybe you could. I think in this situation, if you had five or six NFL counties where NFL teams exist, say we're not going to play tackle football, you could think about it. You're not stopping the NFL. You're now disrupting the NFL. You're disrupting the 49ers and you're going to put them and people that they're going to be around now in harm's way. So I think you could say, we don't want to play tackle football, but for you guys, you've done a good job of containing it. As long as you keep doing it, you can do it. We'll give you an exception. I think it's that simple. You can't, there's no way I'm not putting this on Santa Clara. They know what this was. And to me, you're making everyone less safe because you've put this ridiculous requirement on these sports teams that are doing a good job. And now they're going to have to move out of state. you they had to. They had no choice. There's no way didn't, you're not. Didn't the, I'm sorry. Didn't the Niners just have an outbreak? Am I am I misremembering? Yeah, they had, they had a couple cases. I mean, yeah. Okay. So who's doing a good job here? I mean, you're being tested every day. Okay. They are not going to be going out. I, I, I get it. Okay. So, worse. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of these teams are getting tested like friggin' every day. How many freaking outbreaks are we getting? Who are they interacting with? Is this immaculate conception of this virus and all these teams? No, they're not in bubbles. They're interacting with the surrounding community, including their families, all this crap. They're interacting then in a group every single day they practice, and then they're spreading it to their families again. It's it's stupid to continue doing the stuff that's inessential, fundamentally. Okay. Santa Clara is putting their foot down about it and saying, hey, this is stupid. They're making a proactive decision to ignore the fact that the NFL is probably going to continue with bullshit anyway. But the, the team's electing to move, like electing to move their entire operations to a different state to take care of this. They are the they're the ones at fault if anything happens that's less safe here. Like yeah. they're the ones who are making a proactive choice to exit the place that's safe to go to some place that's less safe so they can continue playing their children's game. Like, that's what we're talking about. I, I completely disagree with you there. I mean, if, if Santa Clara could get a bunch of other counties behind them and there was more than just them, then that would make a little yeah, bit there's, more sense. There's no obligation. There's no obligation to have numbers when you are correct. You can be correct and be solo. Like, that's totally fine. No, I, I don't think there's any reason to okay. need. That's just because other... you agree with their position. No, no but it's, it's not. Yeah. I, I, even if I didn't agree, uh, appealing to the idea that Oh, a lot of people have to agree with you to be correct. It's not that's not going to ever carry much water with me. We're going to see what California is going to do, because California is probably poised to do a new big statewide stay at home order sometime in the next couple of days, at least from what Newsom was threatening earlier this week. 
And we'll see what that looks like. I wouldn't be shocked if it looks a lot more like Santa Clara's than L.A. County's because he's more of a Bay Area dude to start out with. So a lot of these choices, Dave, are you're you are trying to do your best. You're trying to make things better. There's there's outbreaks. I get it. But you also have to take into what's the context of this? Like, well, is there are the 49ers going to shut down? Is the NFL going to shut down? No. Okay. well, that's probably a dumb ask. Let's do something that actually can be helpful. Stanford's got a couple games left. Right. So are we going to stop that from happening or we just let this go? I mean. Are you, do you really feel like if we shut this down, lives will be saved? Like, no, that's not the case. You're actually going to make people less safe by doing no, this. So, but that's, but that's an area where I think everyone who, who's getting super hung up on this, um, and I'll start with like Wilner, but a lot of people, um, they, they're really fixating on whether or not it's safer for the players themselves. Have we seen a football player like even get like super seriously ill? I know there was that one guy who got it in the offseason and died, and that's really unfortunate. But I don't think we've seen an actual player this season get super ill. That's not the point. Like, and it's fundamentally never really been the point for me. It's when you have group interactions and then you spread it to your surrounding community, you then can spread the virus and you will have a meaningful increase in death if you have enough of these group interactions that you're canceling. Whatever these group interactions are, they're, they're doing collegiate sports, pro sports, but they're also doing all this other stuff that they are also canceling at the same time. Santa Clara is making a good and proactive decision for the people who live in Santa Clara. That's their obligation. Their obligation is to those people. And so they are making a decision to say, we're not going to have these group interactions that meaningfully spread the virus, whatever that is, because meaningfully spreading the virus to more and more people will Yes, obviously lead to more deaths. On a percentage basis, it's going to happen. Um, so that's the decision they're making right now. They, I mean, as much as I'm sure the, the county commissioners of Santa Clara County would love for people to stop dying over the country, their obligation is to the people in their county. And that's the decision they made. Yeah, I just don't think you're taking into account that not everyone in the county is equal that there's going to be a big household that has a bunch of people over and, and they're going to have like a tackle football game out in the yard or whatever it is. Like, yeah, they're not testing everyone every day. So there's, I think there's exceptions you could make. Cause you know, there's groups that are maybe shouldn't be playing. A lot of people argue you definitely shouldn't be playing, but they've made the decision to play They're They got these protocols in place. I think you have to take those protocols into consideration. and Santa Clara didn't, but that, I mean, obviously we have different opinions on this. Yes. Um, but we gotta we gotta run through the rest of this because we just spent what ten minutes on that. Uh, also, do you uh, do any of you have any idea about what the bowl games would even look like with all that's going on? Well, there won't be a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, we're it's. I mean, it just seems like every day more get canceled. So, Danny, I'm not sure. Um, that's yeah. They might all go away. Who knows? Yeah, and then he finishes. This is just a complete shit show, and I wanted to write in because I feel like I can't wrap my mind around being the only one that feels this way about the season. Anyways, been listening to the pod since the start, and I appreciate all the work you all put in. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it actually feels more reasonable right now to talk Disney princesses and the Mandalorian and Star Wars universe than continue than you continue on pretending like we give a crap about this awful football season. Nice. Well, thanks, Great Danny, stuff, for that. Um, we have a, a, a scripture reading from Hitler Day. Psalms. Right, I'll, I'll pull the, that up while you. Uh... Okay. Psalms 129 verses six through seven. I noticed a weird split in 2019 podcast MVP Chase Garber's passing game this year, depending on whether he's throwing to his left or to his right. Left, he's uh, it's 
38 of 49 for 378, 7.7 yards per attempt. But to the right, 19 of 34, 56% completion for 85 yards, 2.5 yards per attempt. My theory is that it's his throwing motion. He doesn't really turn his hips to throw that much. And that's much easier going left as a right-hander. Any thoughts on that or other possible factors? Have you boys even seen a directional split this wide in a quarterback before? All right, so Psalms 129, verses 6 and 7 is, May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. What? Yeah, well done. <laughs> um, so I, I haven't, I, I can't remember the stats exactly. I know Brett Hundley, his first year, um, he, I, I theorized that it was actually, he was only really, the the offense focus was mostly on one side of the ball. I know sometimes they give that to new quarterbacks um, to only have to do like one side of the field, really. Um, so he was throwing a great quantity to one side versus the other side, but I don't know if it was any limited effectiveness. Um, so that's a different situation. Um, I, I know Chase Griffin uh, for UCLA has been much, much better to the short left than he has been anywhere else. Um, and has been pretty poor to his right, uh, but a smaller sample size. Um, I would guess this speaks to a, a lack of um, a couple things. I think you're probably right. There's something wrong with his throwing motion a little bit, and that can happen with quarterbacks where they're just not as comfortable throwing with their, you know, their front open a little bit more. Um, but also um, just lack of comfort in the offense. Still, you know, it still seems like he doesn't quite know, and he's not on the same page with his receivers because it's not even just like he's missing. If you're watching him throw, a lot of times he's sailing the ball like way over guys' heads or way under throwing them. And it's just, you know, he, he was our MVP last year um, semi-facetiously, but he wasn't missing like that that often last year. It just seems like he's not comfortable. It does. It looks it looks like a different quarterback. I haven't noticed that as much. Um, I'd be curious to see how much was – was he rolling one way or the other? Um, you know, maybe a lot of the, the throws – he had less throws to the right. Um, if you were rolling more and he wasn't as good when he was on the move versus in the pocket, I think you, know, you need a little bit more breakdown, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's not that many passes though. I mean, you know, that's under a hundred passes, right. That we're talking about, but, um, so I don't know. We'll see, but yeah, he, he doesn't look as sharp as he did last year. I think there's, there's probably something more at play for than that. Yeah. All right, this is from Eric. Uh, Pac-12 Championship and Bowls. Hey, Ryan and Dave, a couple of questions regarding the exigencies created by this absurd pandemic season. Uh, one, if both Colorado and USC remain undefeated going into the final week of scheduled Pac-12 play, is there any chance the Pac-12 could rearrange the schedule to make up the USC-Colorado and UCLA-Utah games rather than having Colorado play Utah and USC play UCLA? It seems unfair to leave an undefeated Colorado or USC out of the Pac-12 title game when the two teams were prevented from playing because of circumstances beyond their control. And I'm not sure what is gained by having those two teams play Utah and UCLA who have already lost. Eric, there's no way they're going to cancel USC, UCLA to have Colorado play them. Sorry. Yeah. And um, I mean, people, I've someone had a question like this before on like on our tunnel vision show. And I was saying, you know, they're not doing this. And they're like, well, yeah, they've already, you know, rescheduled games, but they're only going to reschedule canceled games. I don't think they're going to recant like force cancel games. They're going to reschedule when they have to, but I don't think they're going to for competitive purposes uh and there's no way they will cancel usc ucla to have colorado play usc yeah 
That's not going to happen. Unfortunately, it would be cool to see those undefeated teams match up against each other. Maybe that'll happen in the seventh week. We'll see. And the, the problem is for Colorado, they basically didn't get to play and now have lost the tiebreaker because they played an out-of-conference game. USC has an extra conference game, so the tiebreaker, before it even gets to uh, the college football playoff, is your divisional games, and USC has the advantage there. So if both teams win out, Colorado gets left out. That's, that's the problem. Oh, and 100% what the Pac-12 should do, especially now that they're functionally eliminated from the playoff, is push the Pac-12 title game out an extra week, have everyone play that seventh week, like a makeup game for basically everyone, because I think everyone will have probably missed a game by then, and then have the Pac-12 title game. I like that. Yeah. Um, two, it seems like some of the lower tier bowls will be canceled, which is all well and good. Even under normal non-COVID circumstances, it seems pointless to have two six and six teams play each other before 15,000 disinterested spectators in Shreveport or El Paso on the Thursday afternoon after Christmas when most people are at work. However, I am a Colorado fan and for programs like the Buffs that haven't had a lot of success in recent years, an invitation to even a bowl that shouldn't exist would be an important stepping stone for the program. With that in mind, any chance that these canceled bowls announce teams that would have been invited if the bowl were played? Thanks, guys, and stay healthy. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I haven't heard that at all, uh, Eric. Um, so sort of like, Colorado, you would have made this bowl, but you didn't. Um, you would have made the Music City Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, I doubt that. I think once they shut the bowl down, they're like those committees or whatever those people do, they're probably not going to be working on it anymore. Um so, yeah, probably not. But, you know, I think you can hold out hope. Colorado keeps winning. They're going to get some sort of postseason game. But I don't know right. um, what that would be. All right. P uh, this is Pac-12 North, Peter in Vancouver, Washington. Gentlemen, I have a few questions for you about the Pac-12 North. In the preseason poll, three people picked Cal to win the Pac-12 North. Unless something bizarre happens, they are already eliminated with two weeks left or a third of the season. Why were those people so wrong about Cal this season? Oh, boy. Um, I think a lot of people forgot, as I did, that Bill Musgrave was their offensive coordinator now. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people, and Hitfoday made this point, which probably should have heated him a little bit more before the start of the season. Um, Cal aged up a lot of guys who weren't good. Um, like their offensive line basically fundamentally entirely returned, but they weren't good last year. So why would we suddenly expect them to be good this year? Um, so maybe just a little bit of that going on, um, where sometimes teams get more experience, but it doesn't mean they get better. Yeah. And, you know, I think the COVID stuff hurt, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator, they just, it doesn't look like the same offense with your MVP, um, chase Garber's in there. So yeah, there's, uh, <sighs> Yeah, there's some issues. I don't know exactly why, but I didn't pick them to win the North, but I thought they'd be competing for it, and they're not even close right now. Okay, Oregon was not only picked to win the North, but also the Pac-12. They're also being picked by some to go into the playoffs. While they could still win the Pac-12, they have certainly not looked like a playoff team. Why were those people so wrong about Oregon being a playoff team this season, even as recently as a week ago? I think this one is... Um... I don't think anyone was expecting the Oregon defense to take as large a step back as it did. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, a step back, but reloading on talent um, at spots and expecting them to more or less pick up relatively close to where they started, where they were last year. And instead, um, the bottom's fallen out. Uh, they've been a horrible tackling team this year, um, but that run defense just generally has been porous. Um 
it's just it hasn't looked good at all defensively. And then I think offensively they've been fine. Um, but that defense is just nowhere close to good enough to even win the Pac-12 probably, let alone um, make the playoff. Yeah. And just in general, Peter, I mean, I get, I mean, I, I think you're a Washington fan and uh, <laughs> you're wondering why Washington wasn't getting enough credit or whatever. This is a, uh, it's a pandemic. I mean, there was no preseason games. There was not a lot of spring practice. It's, you know, people have missed games. People have games have been canceled. This is pretty crazy. Like if this was a regular season, does Cal look better than they do? Would Oregon be dominating? Like we, it's hard to say. Um, it, it's like you have to navigate some crazy waters in this thing. So I think that's all well, part of it. Uh, are we really gloating here, Pete? Like Washington, like Washington was down twenty-one nothing at halftime against Utah last week, and was two successive horrific spots against Oregon State from likely losing that game as well. Like, yeah, yeah okay. But anyway, his third question is about UW. Yeah, he says, uh, what was the reason that Utah was not picked to, by UW. anyone to win the Pac-12 North? I'm sorry, Washington. God, Utah. The reason that Washington was not picked by anyone to win the Pac-12 North was it just having a new head coach? It couldn't be because they were replacing a quarterback and offensive coordinator because that applied to Oregon as well. For me, I mean, I said in my mind, without a lot of prep, I'm going to ding teams with new head coaches. I didn't really ding Washington. I think I picked them second in the North because they're basically keeping the same system. Um, but, you know, Washington State was replacing everyone. They still look good. You know, they look way better, I thought. Colorado had a head coach that hadn't been a head coach for a long time. They had a quarterback that was, that was a safety last year. They look good. So I was wrong on those. Um, but I think Washington's about where I thought they'd be the second best team in the North. They're about that. If they're not that, if they're maybe the best, we have them in our number one in the poll right now. But I don't think we were way off on Washington. I don't think so either. Um, but also, uh, Oregon's problems aren't the quarterback or the offensive coordinator, really. Um, you know, Joe Moorhead and uh, Tyler Shuck have been fine. I mean, Moorhead's been good, I would say. Uh, for UW, I, I still don't know if John Donovan's any good. Um, I, I don't know if it even looks better than it did uh, last year under uh, Peterson. So um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know right now if UW's significantly better than Oregon. Like this, this kind of <laughs> almost gloating tone to this. I don't, I don't really know. Um, they've looked flawed. I've seen um, more dominance in short periods of time from UW than anyone else right now. But I've also seen some real WTF moments like that entire first half against Utah. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to need to see UW put it together for like more than one single game before I'm crowning them, you know, the clear favorites in the North and uh, everyone was a silly dunderhead for not picking them to win it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. All right. Well, this went on like hour and 45 minutes, so we should probably get out of here, Dave. But good stuff. Um, well done. We're good. Some fun arguments. You did, you did great. You did great work today. I was proud you, of you. You did too, man. And uh, appreciate it. Thanks for returning all my text messages in a timely manner in the week, you know, trying to get ready for the show. Yeah, I think I did, right? Or, no? or ignoring them all. Yeah. Did I, did I ignore them all? Yeah, most of them. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, you know, you're, you got a busy life, so. Uh, but it was good stuff. We appreciate that. All you guys listening out there, that is David Woods. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.
What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.